Hi, everyone, and thank you for listening to Seven Mile Chats. Another just quick reminder to bear with me as I am new to this, and I apologize for any audio issues or editing issues that you might hear. I promise that I'm getting better. Thanks so much for listening. everyone, and welcome to 7 Mile Chats, a podcast where each week I, Julia Struckley, talk with someone about a scripture verse of their choosing, and we look at that scripture from different angles. A little bit about me, I'm a scripture teacher at a Catholic school, I've been a youth minister, and I have a master's degree in theology, but the purpose of this podcast is really just to have a conversation about scripture and try to apply it to today's world. Today, I'm talking with someone that I've known for a very long time since we graduated college and we did a service year. And then later in life, God brought him back into my life and we ended up working at the same high school together. And so today I am walking and talking with my friend, Father Ed Bresnahan. Welcome, Father. Good morning or afternoon for the <laughs> listeners. How are you? I'm doing great. It's so great to hear your voice. We were, we were commenting beforehand that it's just nice to connect, especially in these times when we can't really see each other. Um, so it's great to hear your voice. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. And it's cool that, um, like I mentioned in the inner, like that we kind of reconnected like physically, like that God brought us back together to be in the same place, even after all those years. So um, I think welcome. it was the craziest moment when I got the announcement that I was going back to the school or going back to high school, which was already a nervous experience for me. And then yeah. I was like, oh, but wait, Julia's there. So we're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and I think for the most part, we did a we worked well together. We had a solid team. And um, but you are not at the high school anymore. So why don't you, Father, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> Well, sure. Um, I am Father. <laughs> I am Father Ed Bresnahan, and I am um, a diocesan priest for the Diocese of Arlington. And um, yeah, um, before I became a priest, I did a year of service. Net ministry is fantastic, great year. Um, and then God called me to the God called me to the priesthood. I've been in Fredericksburg. Um, I've been at the high school, and then now I am the parochial vicar at St. Andrew the Apostle in Clifton, Virginia. So I am uh, living the dream back here <laughs> in horse country of all places. It's the, the place in Fairfax County where they refuse to build up. So <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't it's realize, so nice out here. Like right after we did, you mentioned we did net ministry. That was our volunteer year. Was it, it was right after that that you entered seminary? It was, yeah. Immediately the year after, that's the first thing. Uh, first thing I did, I um, I got off the road and then I uh, went and applied to the seminary. I was ready. So. Wow, it's impressive. Mm -hmm. And then, as you mentioned, diocesan priests are at the you know the will of the bishop, and they get moved around. So we worked together at um, a diocese. Well, was it? Yeah, I guess it was diocesan high school. I should know that. Mm -hmm. It was also in high school, but also underneath the umbrella of the diocese. So you were there for how long? How many years were you there? So I was there for six years. Can you believe wow. it? Wow. I yeah. cannot believe it because I was there for five years. But yeah, you mm -hmm. must have stayed on for a year or two longer after I moved. Um, mm -hmm. And you mentioned, so that was more, not as urban, it was suburban, but it was like in a major city. And then you mentioned now you're kind of out 
out in horse country. <laughs> it's amazing. It's the same. It's this. It's amazing. It's the same county. Just because Fairfax is one of the most developed counties in the country, yeah. Um, and everybody talks about all the traffic through Fairfax and all of yeah. the, just the, the the vast numbers of people who live here. But then when you come out just to the border of Prince William County, it's just there's forests, there's parks, there's rivers, there's there, like we're bordered on three sides by woods. That's it is amazing. I didn't realize it's all the same county. That is kind of interesting when you when you think about it. Yeah, and it's beautiful because it's kind of just like as you get ready to head towards the Shenandoah. So for all the folks who like going, you know, hiking or fishing, it's just gorgeous. And we're right there after you kind of get past civilization and you're ready to kind of get get out to um, get out to the woods and the lakes and the rivers and stuff like that. The mountains. Cool. Well, I can't wait to get into talk scripture with you. Like, even though we, we did work together and I taught theology and you were the chaplain and scripture is what we do. Um, and we, we did a year of net and, and we did certainly prayed a lot together. Um, you know, we don't get to talk scripture like this too often, you and I together. So it's, it's no, that's so true. That's so um, true. So what I'm, I'm going to have you go ahead and do um, is read the passage that you chose from us. You chose from the gospel of John. So I'm really excited. Mm -hmm. So. Um, when you are ready, if you want to go ahead and read uh, from John for us. Sure. I picked the, um, I picked the first chapter, um, not the whole first chapter. That'd be a lot. Um, <laughs> but I, I, <laughs> I picked the part where John begins to speak to Jesus. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, one, Andrew the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. Okay, so I love John's gospel, and I love the beginning part of John because he is very symbolic, and he uses um, symbols in like to introduce his gospel. It kind of it echoes Genesis, um, but you've chosen part of John that is a little more straightforward. So, like he after does that introductive narrative that I mentioned, he um, introduces John the Baptist, who are two different guys: John the Apostle, John the Baptist, and then uses John the Baptist to introduce the calling of the apostles, which is different than like Matthew's version of the calling of the apostles. Would you say that's correct? Absolutely. Um, I, although I think especially with this, um, the images that he uses in the beginning of the gospel um, in chapter one, the first couple of verses, mm -hmm. this is where they become con concrete. So images okay. like the lamb of God, the word of God, those, this is the one about whom I spoke, those kinds of things. Okay, cool. So I'm interested to talk to you about that because, yeah, I do love John's gospel because he uses all this figurative language and symbols. And so you mentioned like the first five verses that of that start John's gospel, he uses symbols like the word to describe Jesus and the Lamb of God. Um, and I guess why don't, we'll just start with why did you pick this, Father? Why why this passage from John? Well, so I love this passage for a couple of reasons. Um, there are three. I guess there's just like three things, and maybe we can just kind of get into them. But um, there's three things about it that I just absolutely love. Uh, so the first is that um, I love the image of John on the seashore pointing out Christ as he walks by, right? Mm -hmm. That visual of saying, behold the Lamb of God. And I can only imagine what the crowd must have like thought 
when he was right there with them. So there's that. There's the image where they ask, where are you staying? And instead of, hey, who are you? Tell me your story. They want to see where he's staying and they want to stay with him. And the idea of being with being with the Lord and learning at his feet is, is kind of a, a pretty amazing thought. And then the third was that this moment, this encounter was so powerful that they, even years after, John the Evangelist is writing years after, and he remembers what time of day it was. It just strikes me that, you know, you can probably remember a few moments in your life, but do you remember the exact time when those moments happened? How important does the moment have to be for you, for you to be able to look and say, oh yeah, it was about four in the afternoon. That's when I met Jesus Christ. Oh my gosh. I, I love that. And I know I had circled verse 39 because there's a footnote about the time um, in sure. my Bible. So it says that four in the afternoon, literally the 10th hour from sunrise in the Roman calculation of time. Some suggest that the next day beginning at sunset was Sabbath, that they would have stayed with Jesus to avoid travel on it. So that kind of explains the invitation um, for them to stay or for him to stay, you know, um, that they wouldn't oh, yeah. want to travel on the Sabbath. Um, but I, I love what you said about, and if you think about it, it makes sense. Like if I meet Jesus, hopefully I'm going to remember that moment, <laughs> hopefully, yeah. you know, and they do. I think it's funny because I do a lot of wedding prep and I, you know, when you're talking with a lot of people who are getting married and you ask them like, okay, how did you meet? Mm -hmm. um, and they might, sometimes they might have just general remembrances, but for the most part, I mean, it was only a year or two or so since they first kind of met or when they first like asked one another out on a date or something like that. And so they remember pretty vividly where it was, but it's adorable when you meet somebody who was um, you know, they've been married for 40 or 50 years and you ask them how they met their spouse and, mm -hmm. and they tell you, but it's usually almost a lot more fuzzy. They'll be like, oh, well, Tro and Tro was, you know, mm -hmm. and they, they tell you like, oh, it was kind of a, I saw them at a dance or something like that. And, and it's just a very generic story. They, even though they remember vividly the moment to be able to say, oh yeah, it was four o'clock on mm -hmm. this day. <laughs> mm -hmm. It just strikes me as a, as a, as a pretty amazing moment. It is. And this, I'd mentioned that this passage is very different than I think I'm thinking of Matthew's account um, where, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that, you know, Andrew and Peter, Andrew's still the first one called, um, but it's more like Jesus approaching them on the shore. Whereas John's version, he has John the Baptist as kind of this like go between um, where Peter and Andrew are already following John the Baptist. Is that correct? And then Jesus... Mm -hmm. And then yeah, through so, John the Baptist, go ahead. Yeah, so remember remember in Matthew, and I think it's also in Mark, um, or possibly even in Luke, I know that they're synoptics, so that there's a similarity there. Mm -hmm. The key for them was that he got into the boat to teach from the crowd, or to teach the crowd. He got into the boat and taught the crowd taught the crowd from the boat, but Jesus is never going to um, sort of impose on anybody. And so as an act of generosity or a, a fact of thanksgiving, Jesus asks them to go fishing and to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. And so he performs a sign just for them. Um, mm -hmm. And then they turn around and say, okay, um, we're in. <laughs> Come yeah. follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Loosely translated from the original Greek. <laughs> like, so, so, so yeah, so it's different, right? It's different. And why do you think that John the Evangelist uses John the Baptist as like the go-between then here in this version? Sure. Well, in my understanding, I think, um, my understanding, I think, no, my, my understanding is that <laughs> <laughs> I think I was thinking about this. 
Um, my understanding is, of course, that um, John the ba- John the Baptist, John the Evangelist, wants to make a particular connection about Jesus being the Lamb of God. One of my favorite mm-hmm. passages in the Old Testament is Abraham and Isaac, right? Abraham sacrificing Isaac, where Isaac has to carry the wood uh, for the mm-hmm. sacrifice up the mountain. And as he goes up the mountain, he has a very poignant question for his dad. I see the wood. I see the knife. I see the fire. But he says, where is the Where's lamb the for the sacrifice? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like a little awkward moment when the dad right. is like, you know, um, plot twist, you're the sacrifice. Right. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to say that. I mean, you don't want to say like, um, I'm actually here to kill you, son. Sorry. Um, so instead, Abraham says something that's obviously inspired. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I love that image because that word, right, that that word translated from the Hebrew into the Greek is the same word that John uses when John says, behold, the Lamb of God. So it's mm-hmm. a beautiful connection that here is the one about whom Isaac or Abraham says, God will provide the Lamb. And of course, God provides the Lamb. He provides his own son so that Abraham doesn't sac- has to sacrifice his own son. And so right. I think John is very particular about using the word lamb of God um, to, to, to go ahead and do that. There's a lot more a, Eucharistic imagery. You're absolutely. Yeah. And, and that makes a lot of sense while you were talking about it from what I know about John, that he was writing to Judaic Christians and he and Matthew was as well, but they do it in very different ways. And John really uses a lot of the Jewish symbols. And this is obviously a callback then to, like you mentioned, the Abraham moment and the Jews would have been familiar with that. Right. So they would, they would recognize that connection that you just mentioned. Am I? Yeah. Language and history are so important. And I think we do this even in our own culture, right? I mean, even in, you know, even in America, when we use phrases, um, you know, whether they're, you know, whether it's like, you know, a political person grandstanding or whether it's, um, you know, somebody giving like a graduation speech or something like that, there's images that people use to kind of jog our memories about these things. Like when we say the founders or we say, uh, you know, freedom or we say any of these things and we kind of hearken back to some some nebulous idea that we understand as Americans. Right. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we know all we know all the words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we know the words. Um, or even when you quote a famous song lyric or something like that, it harkens back. People who are familiar with music will remember that or a movie quote. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. and I know those are secular examples, but the reality is, is that you're talking about a group of people who spend their life learning about the law because the law brings salvation. Mm-hmm. That's very, so yeah. Be very aware, very aware of what they were not only supposed to teach and believe, but also what they're hoping for. Ugh, I love that. Yeah. And when I teach John's gospel, I use actually, like I have them draw a lot of the images. So I pick out some of the symbols because there are so many, like the word lamb of God, you mm-hmm. know, stick, um, foreshadowing, like, and I, like the vine and the branches and things like that, that John uses to describe Christ. And again, these would all be images that the the Jewish Christians would be familiar with and would connect and be like, ah, yes, like this is calling back Genesis. This is calling back, you know, and I just love that. Isn't it amazing too? (laughs) Isn't it amazing too that like they would remember these kinds of passages like Abraham and Isaac, but it's also very relevant to their life in the present moment, right? Because shepherding, um, shepherding and nomad, nomadic kind of traditions and things like that, there were sheep all over the Holy Land. 
Um, we took a pilgrimage there just in February before or January before the pandemic hit. And, uh, and I, it, was, it was sheep everywhere. You could totally see, you know, um, Bedouins uh, driving um, a flock of sheep and goats together. And you kind of get this mm-hmm. image of like, boy, I mean, that's what Jesus was talking about when he says, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. They're in one big flock going up a, on a hill um, across the road. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've talked about John the Baptist connection and then John the Apostle's like use of the symbols. Um, I would like to talk about this verse, verse 38. So, you know, they're, they're connected in some way through John the Baptist. And then Jesus turns to them and says to Peter and Andrew, what are you looking for? And I, that that phrase, that question really jumps jumps out to me, right? And I feel like that's something that we can apply very easily today. We've talked a lot about like the historical context and stuff, but what does that phrase mean to you? The what are you looking for? Like, how do you read that verse? Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, so I, I love this question, <laughs> right? Because um, how many times have you been talking with a friend um, or even just like maybe you're at a restaurant, you overhear a conversation at another table, right? And somebody just kind of blurts out, boy, I wish. And then the answer is just like, you know, I wish I wish everything was okay, or I wish this was perfect, or I wish that was a thing. And, and it, it's like we have this kind of blanket thing. Like we are ex, we, we, we pretend we're experts in a field that we're, well, we, don't, we don't know. And, and sometimes I wonder if we're really a- always asking the right questions. You know, and, and I think mm-hmm. this is kind of a really, really amazing moment because, you know, if you had the chance to talk to Jesus and you had one question to ask him, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. If you had a question to ask Jesus or, or um, you wanted to be an open book and you wanted to say, you want to say, okay, Lord, ask me a question. I think sometimes we might in our mind think, um, okay, Lord, why do you let bad things happen to good people? Lord, um, why haven't you come again when the world needs you so much? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. why, you know, why didn't, you know, why didn't this thing work out the way that I expected, right? Or any number of different things. We can ask that question all the time. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I love this manner of questioning that Jesus asks because he gets to the heart of it. His simple yeah. question is, what are you looking for? What is it that your heart truly desires? <laughs> it forces us to take a pause, to be able to really take stock of, okay, not just what is my impulse in this present moment, but what is really at the heart of what I'm looking for? Mm. What's, I, I mean, what's, <laughs> go ahead. It, this, this question, it just, it cuts through, you know, um, like, I think that this question, I feel like he, it cuts through to us today, you know, like when I it makes me reflect on myself. Like, what am I looking for in my relationship with Christ? So I that he's not just present, he is calling them and cutting through to them, but also with mm-hmm. us today. And a lot of my um, guests so far have picked, like, um, we've done a couple of prophets and we've done a couple of letters, but no one's picked a gospel yet. And oh. I feel like this is such a, this is such like, this introduces Jesus. He uses this question that cuts through to us and, um, I don't know. This is just a perfect passage to, I think, set up who Jesus is. So, Oh, bingo. And I think, I mean, look, you call it seven mile chats, which is obviously a reference to Emmaus, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> and if you think about it, what was the question or not the question, but what was the disappointment in the two apostles voice when they were walking along the road? They said, we were hoping that he would be yeah. the one. Right. Yep. We were hoping that he would be the one. And there was like a doubt that because things didn't go the way that they were expecting. 
right? Things didn't happen the way they were looking for. I think we, don't we do this all the time? We were like, oh, if only God could do this for me, then my life would be perfect. And Jesus is just saying, okay, what are you actually looking for here? What do you think I am for you? Who do you say that I am? And I think cutting to the the quick, because if we expect Jesus to be something that Jesus is not, we expect Jesus, we uh, we create Jesus in our image and likeness instead of the other way around, right? Well said, friend. That is Mm -hmm. so true. But on that note then, so you're asking like, you know, who... In some of the other later synoptic gospels, Jesus says, like, who do people say that I am? And in this passage here, they, you know, what are they looking for? They said teacher. Um, yeah. So I don't know if, if that, speak to that, like, why do they recognize him as a teacher right away, do you think? And of course, this is a little, I'm a teacher, so I want to know. I know, but... right? <laughs> <laughs> why do, you, why do um, you think they recognize him as a teacher right away? You know, I, I love that question because I think there's probably a couple of different ways to answer it. And I don't, at least, uh, I want to hear your answer on this too, only because I don't think any of the answers that I'm going to provide are very satisfactory. Um, I know I'm not satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> I think on one level, um, I recognize that in a historical context, the dress that people wear um, indicates mm-hmm. what they do and who they are. Right. So I think one of the things that we don't necessarily always pick up from in the scriptures is what is it that they actually see when they see Jesus walking down the ro- down the road or on, along the shoreline. Right. And I think that we could probably reasonably guess that Jesus would be dressed in the style of a teacher to begin with. And so when okay. they see him, they would immediately say, oh, yeah, teacher, you know, the way that like, you know, you can tell you can tell who's a religious sister because of their habit. But then even if they don't wear a habit, you can still tell that they're sisters. Yeah. Can I tell you a funny story about being recognized as a teacher? <laughs> so yes. I was at, um, I haven't wandered out very often or very much during quarantine, but I was going to be visiting my family in Ohio and um, I wanted to get a gift for my niece and my nephew. So I go into this toy store um, with my mask and they were all very careful and everything like that. But um, sure. um, in the store, I have this kind of like, I see one of my friend's kids and um, the store clerk when I went to go pay, she must have observed my awkward conversation or awkward interaction with this child. <laughs> and so I get to pay for my items and they're like, are you a teacher? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so obvious because so of obvious. my awkward, awkward interaction with this child, but actually was not one of my students, but like a friend's kid, like I said, but anyways, yeah, like to be recognized as a teacher, I don't think it's too far off either the way I dress or the way that I act. But then for me, when I, to read back to this passage, um, I wonder if because of that question, the way that he phrases, like, what are you looking for? That maybe they recognize him as like a, like a learned man, like he's like a philosopher Mm -hmm. or some kind of, just because that's such a philosophical question. And John throughout, like I'm thinking now of like towards the end of Jesus's life with the interaction with Pilate, right? There's a lot of those philosophical Mm -hmm. questions of like, who, you know, who do you think that I am? What is truth? What is exactly? Side yeah. note, side note, I love the the scene where that happens in the Passion of the Christ, because mm-hmm. the way that it works is that they're speaking Aramaic and Pilate speaks Aramaic to him and he responds in Latin. And there's this look on Pilate's face that kind of has this recognition of, mm-hmm. oh, oh, mm-hmm. this is more than mm-hmm. just a local rabble guy. This is an educated person who's speaking my language. And then he responds. 
quides veritas and he says it in mm-hmm. latin as and they mm-hmm. start kind of responding in, in another language it's just kind of that moment whenever you um I, I speak spanish and so whenever i um encounter somebody who maybe and i don't look spanish i look like a leprechaun right. <laughs> but if somebody immediately recognizes oh you speak spanish and the, the look on their face is like ah oh, and then they they just will go off and and and, and very excitedly speak spanish to me and it's just a fascinating thing when you recognize that learnedness in somebody else or that like, an ability from someone else. And so, um, so I think in a special way, I think you're absolutely right. I think that question makes, mm-hmm. G- it gives Jesus his credentials. Right. <laughs> Jesus so, doesn't yeah, need so, his credentials. He's Jesus. But <laughs> Right, right. But you mentioned like he could have physically been dressed that way. And then also I just think, you know, we're talking about Christ, like his interactions are everything. And he just knows the way to meet each one of us where we are at and what we need. So I'm sure there was something like that with them too. So much so that they like remember the time and the place and invite oh, yeah. in, you know? So I'm sure there was something in that moment that they just recognized. Nothing, nothing is out of place in the work of Christ. That's what's so amazing. It's so efficient if you, if that's even like a good example of the word here. But like he just, everything he does, every interaction, leads into another interaction. Andrew leads him to Peter. Andrew leads yeah. him to Nathaniel, right? Philip was one of the other. I mean, all those disciples brought in, like they all kind of came together um, through this interaction with each other and each one encountering Jesus. What an amazing, you know, what an amazing uh, thing. I could only imagine what it must have been like, the kind of smattering of conversation where Christ meets those two. Where are you staying? And they go and stay with him. And then they go and tell somebody else. And then somebody else tells somebody else. And then you start seeing this, 12 people, each of them relating. Boy, how did you meet Jesus? Well, wouldn't you believe? Yeah, I was under a fig love- tree. Uh, yeah. And I, I love that it's a lot of invitation. You know, it's like Jesus is like, what are you, what are you looking for? Come and see. You know, and that 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 there's this invitation. And you're mentioning like then they passed on that invitation to others. And I kind of want to relate this you know, part of this podcast is to relate it to, to today. And I think sure, that yeah. we've gotten, we've gotten away and you can correct me or, or, you know, if you disagree, like Christians and Catholics maybe don't seem that inviting today. But nobody, yeah, what would I don't think you're, I don't think you're wrong, but I honestly, I think that in reality, very few people are welcoming and inviting. That's now, fair. Right? Yeah, that's fair. If you think about it, it's almost <laughs> yeah. like, it's almost like our society especially with things like social media and stuff like that. It's about broadcasting what I'm doing as opposed to inviting someone else to come and see, right? It's take it or leave it as opposed to, well, what do you think? (laughs) Come on in. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, there's no, there's no like one group that's like, uh, you know, responsible for that. I think it's uh, you have to work at hospitality. And I think, um, I think you have to, we have to work, uh, at that kindness that, that that stems from it. So being able to say, come and see, the absolute definition of the difference between God, uh, what, what Christ does, um, and what the, what, what, what the devil would say or something like that is just simply that Christ has been inviting us from day one, right? He comes mm-hmm. as a child in Bethlehem, right? So that if he shows up in his glory, he's not demanding anything. He comes as a child. And what do you do? You welcome a child into your arms, right? right? Childs don't, they, they, they might sound demanding, but they're really just, they're, <laughs> they're really just asking to be picked up. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. That's so beautiful. This is why, yeah. I mean, you're in the right vocation, father, if you didn't already, <laughs> I mean, but you're, that's so well said. Like, I think that you're right. Um, 
certainly as Christians, I think because we've accepted and hopefully accepted like the word of, you know, we're talking about the word of God and the lamb of God and this child that we would show that example and be inviting more so to others. But you're right in that, like our culture just is in general is not being super inviting right now across the board no, it, because it it's like amazing. Yeah. It's because we're demanding yeah. and like, look at what I'm saying instead of saying, come and see, can you imagine what it would be like if on Facebook, we all said, come and see instead of like, yeah. listen, listen to me. <laughs> right. Imagine if Jesus posted a Twitter um, like a Twitter post and, and, he, and it, whatever it is. And he says, so, and, and maybe and I don't, and Jesus would never misspell a word, but you know that the first thing that somebody would do instead of saying, interesting thought, Jesus, tell me more about it. They would, you know, put the little asterisk and say, right. you're, <laughs> right. like you know what I mean? Oh man. Yeah. It would be so excited about, you know, okay, Lord, well, you seem very excited about lambs. What about sheep? Or what about goats? What about cats? What about dogs? Right. And they would, uh, they would just jump down his throat about all sorts of different things. I know. Oh my gosh. So I'm curious too, when you, so when people pick passages and I let you guys pick, like I said, you're the first one to pick a gospel. And so leave it to a priest. Of course, you're going to get right to the heart of what Jesus is. <laughs> um, but like, is there any kind of, this is very much a vocation kind of gospel too, right? It's like a calling so do yeah. you, does this connect to you personally because of your call as a priest? A little bit. I, I like to think, I try to think as broadly as I possibly can, right? Um, G.K. Chesterton says, um, think broadly, but not so broad that your brain falls out. Or keep an open mind, but not so open that your brain falls out. Mm -hmm. um, so I love the idea of trying to figure out what's that universal principle about Christ mm -hmm. that invites all of us, regardless of our vocation. And I think... Um, we start obviously with the idea of the universal call to holiness. And I think at least for me, it really resonates the idea. So many people in this world are especially good, good Catholics, right? We're, we're all saying like, okay, God has a plan for me. And when we get so anxious about what that plan might be, right? I was like, oh my gosh, is it that person? Is it that person? Is it? And we spend mm -hmm. our whole life like trying to solve the puzzle of a vocation. And the answer was there all along. The answer was, well, first seek holiness, <laughs> First, mm -hmm. seek holiness, seek Christ, and then as we place our trust in Him, the rest of it, uh, the rest of it unfolds, and it unfolds very slowly. It unfolds very lengthily. It unfolds very quickly. Who knows, right? But it unfolds in God's good pleasure and not our own. And so, in this passage always resonates with me. Resonates with me just because even now, okay, sure, I've discovered my vocation. It is a vocation to the priesthood. But even now, I'm still learning how to live a life of holiness and grow in that. And so the idea of constantly, I am constantly walking on the seashore, right? Uh, not an actual seashore, but I mean figuratively, because I like John, he's figurative. But, um, but I love the idea of walking on the seashore and Christ is constantly reminding me, hey, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? And then the answer is literally standing right there in front of them. We're looking for you. And I think regardless of where people are, if they're frustrated with their vocation, if they're um, scared of saying yes to God in a, in a way that they weren't ready for, maybe uh, marriage and they weren't ready for that, or priesthood, they weren't ready for that. Um, one of my friends just received her habit uh, as a national Dominican, and she is now Sister Gloria Christi. I love that. She picked the transfiguration as her uh, feast day. Wow. So, um, but here she is in the path of discovering her vocation. And I know that there was a lot of fear um, coming into that, right? Who doesn't, who isn't afraid when you face the reality of what it is God is asking of you, whether it's a task or whether it's a vocation or whatever. And at the end of the day, God is always there just simply saying, what are you looking for? 
Oh, that's so well said. I, um, I think we've tackled this, you know, at all at every possible angle. I, I, I feel really good about it. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about this passage or just in general? Well, I think uh, the last thing I'd probably just simply say is this. Um, uh, there, there is a thing in the Catholic Church um, uh, that we sometimes disconnect, um, and that's the relationship between evangelization and catechesis. And yet in a loving relationship, you need both, right? Mm -hmm. You need to, you need to, the more you love someone, the more you want to know about them. And then the more you know about them, the more you fall in love with them. And so as Catholics, we've really got to fall, fall into both of those wholeheartedly. So it's not just about book knowledge about God, but then it's also not just about sort of that emotional, Hey, yeah, we're called to know Jesus, right? So when Jesus says, what are you looking for? We want to see where you're staying and stay with the Lord. So know him, to really know the Lord Jesus and let him in your heart, have a relationship with him, encourage, be encouraged by him. But then to look at 2,000 years of beautiful meditation on him and diving into just a, a deep abiding knowledge uh, of salvation history and, and and what our God has to offer us uh, through the lives of the saints. So what a cool combination. Oh All present yeah, right here. Yeah, absolutely. That I, I, I was just talking to another friend um, about a passage, the passage from James about like faith and works and that we as Catholics, we need to have both. We need to have the faith, but then also to do the work. And I think what you just said also relates that we need to have the knowledge and me as a teacher, I'm, I can, I have to check myself on that because I get really wrapped up, uh, wrapped up in the academic part of it. And oh, then yeah. I have to, we have to have that prayer life. We have to have that relationship with Christ as well. We can't just know about him. We have to know him and we have to do that with prayer. So but even in the context of teaching, right? Like, I love that because you want them to get the answers, right? But you right. also <laughs> want them to really know that you want them to know the material, like, so even if they got a B, you want them to walk out of the class saying, okay, but I know religion now. Well, I want them to know, and I want them to know about God. Like, you know, I want them mm -hmm. to have, to hopefully, so yeah, that's a whole nother thing. But um, yes, thank you for calling all these uh, points to our attention. I think you gave us a lot to reflect on, and I'm going to go back and hopefully take this to my prayer. Um, so thank you for, for picking this. Well, thank you as well. Thanks for having me on. And uh, let's do this again sometime. I know. I could talk to you forever. Um, is there any <laughs> kind of plug, anything you want to plug? Do you want people to find you on social media? or? Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you can follow me on social media, um, Padre Brez on Instagram and um, a couple others on like Facebook and, and everything. But the big thing is uh, we have a St. Andrew's YouTube channel. Um, so mm -hmm. St. Andrew's Clifton. And every Monday at seven o'clock, I do a fireside chat where I just uh, answer whatever random questions people throw in. And I try to give, um, you know, um, thoughtful, uh, I try to give thoughtful answers to all of them. Um, it's nothing too super serious, but obviously, um, if you have any hard questions or anything like that, I'm always up for trying to be stumped. So that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be hard to stump you, I think. Um, for those of you who would like to follow me, I am at Miss Struckley one on Twitter at M-S-S-T-R-U-K-E-L-Y-1. And you can also follow on Instagram at 7 Mile Chats. Thank you, Father, for being here. It's always fun to talk to you. So we'll do it again soon. Likewise. God bless you, Julia. <laughs> Bye.